You are listening to In a City Like Yours, a semi-monthly podcast featuring interesting people with interesting life stories. This podcast may contain language and or subject matter not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. I'm your host, Michael G. Moore. Please visit our website at inacitylikeyours.com. That's I-N-A-C-I-T-Y-L-I-K-E-Y-O-U-R-S dot C-O-M. For links to our social media, all popular podcast platforms, and links of interest pertaining to all episodes. On this episode, John starts his story at age 16 when he went to work for his local newspaper as a photographer. Later in life, he would find himself in the radio business, where he eventually started several companies surrounding the field. He ultimately found himself owning several stations and producing five syndicated shows aired across the country and around the world. Here is John's story. I'm Big John Small. I'm 43 years old, and I'm talking to you from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I got in the radio industry. I I started uh, as a broadcaster very, very young. Uh, But before I started as a broadcaster, I was kind of a a class clown. And I was always the one that tried to make people laugh. I was just telling a story the other day about uh, we had a guy here at our house for a water softener. And and I said, I remember when I very first learned of hard water and soft water, I was in science class in seventh grade. And my teacher knew that I wasn't paying attention because I wasn't paying attention. And he said, "Uh, so, Mr. Small, can you please explain to me what hard water is? And I said, yes, that's easy. We call that ice. And the entire class laughed and it just felt really good to get, you know, all of the laughs. Even the teacher laughed. And then he said, now pay attention. But uh, before starting in radio, I actually was going to go down a completely different path. I wanted to be a teacher. And during high school, I took every art class that you could possibly take. And as a junior in high school, I found out that I had enough credits to graduate early. So I looked into that and I was the first kid in 20 years to graduate from that high school early, but I decided to do it. And then there were five others who did the same thing. When they found out I was doing it, they go, hey, I got enough credits to graduate early, so I'm going to do that too. And at the time, I worked as a photographer at a newspaper. And, And I'll tell you, if there's a lesson to learn from John Small, here's the lesson to learn. Don't be afraid to go out on a limb and ask for permission to do things or even you know i don't even know if ask permission is just go to go on a limb and try something because i after two days of photography classes in high school just a photography class um photography just clicked you know no pun intended but it just made sense to me so i went to the city newspaper at age 15 and i walked in and said hey i want to do this i want to be a photographer and i handed some of my photos to the guy and, and he looked at him and said yeah this is nice um how old are you? And I was 15, but it looked about 12. So uh, I told him I was 15. He said, come back and see me when you're 16. So this was September and I didn't turn 16 until November, but I went back in there like four times in between, just dropping off some more photos, just reminding him that, hey, I really want to do this. So finally, after Thanksgiving, after my birthday was done, I come walking in and he said, are you 16 yet? And I said, yes, I am. And then they hired me. And I was a photographer back in the 1990s uh, for a newspaper, for the city newspaper, not my school paper. I did that, too. But for the actual newspaper that was being published and put out all over town. 
and how did that happen? Because I went in and said, I want to do this. And, and you know, I, I asked for an opportunity and they gave it to me. Well, when I started, there were like six people in, the, in that department. But by the time I left, I was the last one in that department. Everybody else over the course of my, you know, next two years of high school, everybody else left and moved on and they didn't replace them because there was this new development called digital photography. And the majority of my hours at that time were in the dark room. And I was thinking, there's no future in this. Well, I was wrong. There certainly would have been a future. And that's, like I said, I was just doing that as a job and I thought I wanted to be a teacher. But then I was thinking, do I want to be Mr. Small the rest of my life? I mean, kids are cruel and I'm not a little guy by any means. So I'm pretty sure that wouldn't be fun. And I kept thinking about broadcasting, uh, about, you know, working on a radio station. I thought that might be kind of a fun thing. So once again, I went out on a limb. I walked into a radio station one day and Ken Lindblad was the guy's name. Super nice man. He was kind of sitting in his office, uh, almost falling asleep. And I walked in and I said, hey, uh, do you have any openings here like for a, a DJ or whatever you call it? And he looks at his calendar. He said, uh, could you start Friday? Which, you know, was not exactly what I was expecting. But uh, he said, could you start on Friday? And uh, I said, I have no idea what I'm doing. I've, you know, I, I don't have any experience, but he, he gave me the opportunity. So I came in to the radio station Friday, that Friday, and he showed me this button does this and this button does that. And if you need anything, I'll be at home. And then he left. <laughs> and I was so nervous. I'm sitting in this studio, you know, listening for the sports guy to call. Uh, and when he called, I was supposed to flip a switch and and then I was supposed to say, it's time now for Tiger football. And here's and, and I push a button once if he says I'll be back in a minute. If he says I'll be back in two minutes, push the button twice. And it, this was at KIJV in Huron, South Dakota. I was so nervous. I had to write every word down that I was supposed to say. And you could hear the paper like shaking in the background because I was so nervous. You know, I, I had to write it all down. I, I didn't want to forget something. And I did that working there part time for, I don't know, probably maybe three months, four months, maybe a little longer than that. And during that time, the people that I worked with were let go because a new company bought this radio station. And when they came in, they were letting people go and they were bringing in their own team. And I had this message to come into the radio station Monday morning. And this is after I had graduated from high school and I was working like four jobs. You know, I, I had time between that and when I was planning on going to school to become a teacher. And I go in there, was working at a furniture store full time. So I come in wearing, you know, flannel shirt and blue jeans and work boots and a Pennzoil hat. And I'm talking to this new manager and he kind of kept looking at what I was wearing. And he said, so do you have like a like a suit? And I said, yeah, yeah, I do. And then he was talking, do you have like like a tie? And I said, yeah, wh why? He said, John, I'm going to be honest with you. I've never had somebody come to a job interview in a Pennzoil hat. And I said, oh, I'm going to be honest with you, John. I didn't know this was an interview. I thought I was getting fired. You know, we both kind of chuckled a little bit, but they had offered me a full-time job then at the radio station. And uh, I officially hadn't graduated from high school yet. Even though I was done with classes, I didn't get to cross the stage until everybody else did, you know, at the end of the school year. So I took the, took the job. And, you know, made the decision not to go to college. And, uh, you know, I saved a, a whole lot of student loan debt and 
you know, I'm, I'm glad that I was uh, afforded the opportunity to do what I love to do. And the thing that's really neat, that radio station uh, is going to come back up later in my story. That's uh, KIJV here on South Dakota. And I started there back in the mid-90s full-time. And then in 1999, I moved to Iowa. When I moved to Iowa, I helped launch a radio station there. And at that time, uh, you know, I was still very young and still learning quite a bit. And it was it was a, a great opportunity for me at such a young age to, to help this gentleman open a radio station in Iowa. And from Iowa, uh, I moved, that was Storm Lake, Iowa. I moved to Pella, Iowa, and I worked for an amazing company there. Uh, they're in Pella and Knoxville. And I, I learned more of the business side of radio, you know, so not just the on-air side, but more of the business side. But it was so far from my family and so far from where I'm from that we moved kind of closer back to South Dakota, but we didn't move to South Dakota. We moved to Nebraska and I helped uh, work. I worked at a radio station there that had been on the air since 1922. It was a heritage station. They'd been around forever. The gentleman that hired me said, we are evolutionary, not revolutionary. You know, they were never the first to do anything. Uh, they, they wanted it to be proven before they ever even touched it. And then uh, eventually we moved to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. We actually lived originally in Brandon, just outside of Sioux Falls. And I'd started my own company. I had started a company where we would write and record ads for clients all over the country. We had clients in 49 states. The only state we were missing was Rhode Island. So if my voice sounds familiar, uh, if you don't hear one of our radio stations that carries our radio show, uh, very possible you've heard me on a commercial because I've done thousands of commercials for thousands of wonderful businesses. And it was just a whole lot of fun. But along the way, I really missed radio. As I you know, started this production company and gotten out of radio, I really missed radio. And I remember you know, when I left radio to start this production company, I told my wife this idea and you know, she said, hey, I believe in you. And if this is what you want to do, we'll do it. And she, you know, went out on faith that this was a good idea. And, and we tried it and it worked. It worked really well. We, we did, you know, financially and in any way you could measure success. We had success. We were very successful. But I missed what I was doing originally. I really missed the radio side. I was like, you know, all I'm doing now is producing ads, which that's fun, too. You get to be creative and come up with a creative way to to sell a product or to convince somebody to do business with this particular plumber instead of that particular plumber. And, you know, that was fun, but I still missed the radio portion, the on-air portion. So I convinced my wife to let me buy a radio station, which sounds crazy because usually radio stations are not owned by, you know, people like us. They're usually owned by wealthy people, you know, people who have giant corporations and you know we're just regular folks and we made an offer on a radio station and they accepted the offer and we bought it and that's 10 years ago and we launched a station called sunny radio well along the way we bought another station in iowa so we owned a radio station in south dakota and we owned a radio station in iowa as we added that second radio station we said you know if we're providing content for our station here and we're providing content for our station there why not offer this content to other radio stations in other places so i again just decided you know what i'm going to reach out and see what people think and i made four phone calls 
to four different radio broadcasters in different parts of the country. And I said, if we made our radio show available to you every day, would you have any interest at all in carrying this? And all four of them said, yeah, what would it cost, though? And I said, well, we wouldn't charge you a monthly fee. Instead, we would we would get some commercials during our own show. It's called barter ads. We would get some barter ads. And that's how we would make, you know, that's how we make it work. And all four of them said, yes, three of the four are currently affiliates. One of the four is still in a contract with another company. But uh, about three years ago, we launched a syndication business and uh, we have five radio shows that we syndicate. So in addition to my wife and I, the show that we have, we have four others as well that we syndicate on radio stations all over the country. And, and we've got about 150 affiliates now that carry our show, which is amazing. And I don't know if you remember earlier in this story, I, I mentioned a station in my hometown, the station I started at, KIJV back you know 25 years ago. They're one of our affiliates. And the thing that's really neat, when I started, I was on in the afternoons, doing an afternoon oldies show on this station. And now my wife and I have this syndicated radio show and it's on that same station in that same time slot, which I just think is really kind of a fun thing that we came full circle and right back to where I started. What's the name of your uh, radio show? Our radio program that my wife and I host is called The John and Heidi Show. And like I said, we're on about 150 stations. Most of those are in the United States, but we have... I think three stations now in Canada. Uh, we've got maybe two or three in England, one in New Zealand and one in Australia. But the majority of the stations are in the United States. What sort of stories do y'all cover? On our program, it's kind of funny because we have people that will say, so is it like a sports talk show? And I don't know anything about sports, so we don't talk sports. So then the next most popular thing for, you know, a syndicated show is they'll say, oh, so is it a political show? And I say, well, we never talk politics because that's very, you know, that's one of those things that's very dividing. You know, you, if, if you and I love each other and then I mention the wrong political slant, all of a sudden we hate each other. So we don't talk politics. We don't talk sports. What we do talk about are, are things that are happening in the world. Um, every day we, we talk about we have a thing called your brain on drugs where we we talk about somebody who did something silly under the influence, and then there's kind of a recovery message tied to that. You know, so it's one of those things where we're, we're kind of making light of the fact that they made this silly decision, but we're also saying, you know what, here's an opportunity, hopefully, for other people to learn from this mistake and get the help they need. And the thing that's amazing is I've actually had people reach out and say, I'm really glad you do that. You know, I, I at first when I first heard that, I, I thought, how silly is that, that they're that they're poking fun at somebody who made this decision. And then each day there was a message talking about recovery. But this person in the message said, I didn't even realize how bad of a problem I had until I'm listening to these stories going, so that's not a big deal. And then they decided to get help and they've gone through recovery and their life, entire life has changed. And they're saying thank you to you guys for, for helping get me on that path. And what a great message that was. I was like, thank you so much for sharing that because that makes it feel really good, you know, to me that we're doing something to help people. I, I just love that. You know, we, along the way, I wish I could say everything was all sunshine and rainbows, but uh, it wasn't so much sunshine and rainbows. Right after we bought the radio station in Iowa, 
I got a call from a gentleman and I'm not going to say any names because I don't want, you know, some people would probably know who it is, but I got a call from this gentleman who said he wanted to partner with us on our station in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And I said, you know, I didn't know him well enough to partner with him. And if, if you Google the guy, when you look him up, he's worth half a billion dollars, but he's, you know, there's all these negative things. And I just said, I don't know him well enough to, to partner with him. So we, we said, tell you what, I, I don't want to partner with you, but if you're interested in the Sioux Falls station, we'll just get out of the way and you can buy it. You buy the Sioux Falls station, we'll focus on the one in Sioux City. So we agreed to, uh, you know, he, he, he offered a price. We agreed to his price and then everything got really weird, you know, uh, and they hadn't signed the agreement, but he wanted to announce it to the world. So we go to this press conference and I even said at the press conference, I was like, well, shouldn't we have a signed contract before we announce this? I mean, doesn't, doesn't sound like the right, right way to do it to me, but he wanted to announce it to the world. So. He announced it to the world, and I had a couple of other broadcasters reach out saying, hey, sell it to me instead of him. And, and I told them, you know, I've already agreed to this. I, it's too late. Well, then a month later, I get a call from his manager, and they want to renegotiate the price. And I said, oh, awesome. How much more did you want to spend? And, of course, that's not what they had in mind. So uh, we sat down, and I said, guys, if you don't want to do this, just walk away. I'm not going to hold you to it. We didn't even sign anything. You know, if you don't want to do it, not a big deal. You know, I've got other people that are interested. And as a matter of fact, we don't even really want to sell it. We, we kind of want to keep it. And but they said, no, we'll 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 do what we said. And so we're going to stick with that price. So we get the paperwork. Then they send me the contract and they say there's one little change. The escrow amount instead of seventy five thousand or instead of seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars, we want to do an escrow amount of seventy five thousand dollars. Now, that's a big difference. So I replied back and said, you know, thank you. I uh, appreciate you guys, you know, getting all this put together. But it really sounds to me like you've changed your mind. If you don't want to do this, you know, walk away today and it won't cost you anything. You know, it doesn't, it won't cost you the 75 grand. You just walk away for free. But they wanted to do it. So we move forward. Money goes into escrow, you know, submit the paperwork to the FCC. Two months later, the FCC approved the deal. We got the escrow, paid off the investors that we had, got you know everything ready for our station in Sioux City. And it was two months after that, I get a call from my bank and they call and say, hey, we, we got a problem. I said, well, what's the problem? And they said, well, we just got a call from, and I'm not, I'm not gonna say his name, but this gentleman, and he bought another station and he wants his money back. And I said, well, We've got an agreement, you know, he can walk away, but according to the agreement that he signed and we signed, he walks away minus the escrow. So if he wants to walk away, he sure can, but you know, he goes without the escrow. And that's when the bank said, well, we never had him sign off on the release of the escrow. They said, wow, well, it sounds like you got a problem. Well, that same day, they made that problem my problem. They froze our bank account. And this was June 12th. 2015 and it stayed frozen for three and a half years and I had never at that point sued anybody in my life had never sued anybody that's not who we are we've just never done that we've had opportunities that we could have and we probably would have won but we just have never gone down that path I don't think that's the right path to go down for so many things well we were forced into a position where we had to sue this guy worth half a billion dollars and sadly we had to sue our bank as well and it turned into a three and a half year ordeal that was not a whole lot of fun. 
Um, we lost our home during this time. Uh, we somehow, by the grace of God, made it through this. And I honestly someday would love, love, love to make a faith-based movie based on our experience that's still not done. The final chapter has not been written yet. But last May, May of 2018, so three and a half years after all of this stuff started, we finally got our four-day jury trial. So we got to sit in a courtroom for four days. And uh, it took three and a half years to get to court. It took four days for the jury to go through and you know hear everything during the trial process. And it took the jury two minutes to decide in our favor. So it was an amazing success. But at the end of the day, my attorneys still have not been paid because part of the lawsuit was he gets to pay the attorney fees. Well, he owes our attorney over a half a million dollars right now. And there's now currently another lawsuit, which again, I didn't even know we were involved in another lawsuit. I had somebody send me a message and say, hey, uh, I hope everything goes well with the, you know, the trial and with, with your lawsuit against. And again, I'm not going to say the dude's name, but against him. And I said, that was last May. I said, we won. I'm not sure what you're talking about. He goes, no, it was just in the news. It was on TV. And I went to the television station's website, and here was a story. It says that we were suing him in federal court. I had to call my attorney. I was like, um, what's this all about? And he said, well, the, we're, we're wanting to get paid. And, and we still have some funds coming from it, too. They're like, you're, we're trying to, trying to get all of us paid finally. So, like I said, the final chapter is not done yet. Um, but again, through all of that, it was by the grace of God that we made it through. And it was one of those things where I wouldn't wish that on anybody, but there were so many crazy things that happened during that three and a half years. I remember getting a call from my wife. She's a very strong person. For anybody that listens to the radio program, they know she's very spunky. You know, she's got a great sense of humor and she's a very funny person. And it's very rare that I'll see her cry about something. I mean, we've been married 20 years, almost 20 years. It'll be 20 years in February. And in that 20 years, I've only seen her cry a few times, but I remember getting a call in the middle of this and I could tell that things weren't well. I said, what's going on? And I could tell she was crying and she said, we've got $32 in our account. She's like, you know, our attorney had told us that this gentleman was trying to financially starve us. And she said, I think we have to find a, find a way to just give up because we have no way to move forward. We have $32. And we had a radio station, well, two radio stations and a syndication company to run. And we were down to $32 for the company, you know, and, and total, not just, you know, one account, but all of it, everything. And, you know, I said a prayer and, and I went out to see some people who, you know, had an invoice with us where they owed some money. And I thought, well, I'm not going to go in and, you know, rough them up and say, hey, you need to pay me because, you know, um, if that's the case, I had people at the time that I owed money to, and I didn't want them to treat me that way. So the cool thing was I didn't have to ask a single person for the money. When I went in to see them, I went in for a completely different purpose. Each one of them, I said, hey, I want to see if we need to adjust the, the ad, if we need to change anything, whatever. And while I was there, they're like, oh, hey, actually, I got an invoice from you guys. Can I just give you a check while I'm here or while you're here? And uh, we, we got enough to, to make it through. You know, the Lord provided every single time. There were a lot of wants that we didn't get but all of our needs were covered and it was absolutely amazing and like i said someday i would love to write a faith-based movie script based on what happened but right now the story's not done you know the, the we're, we're somewhere 
hopefully towards the end, but uh, it's not finished yet. You mentioned that there are several radio shows that you produce. What are they? So we produce the John and Heidi show, which is a show uh, with my wife and I. Uh, and then and, and that's usually on in the morning. But there are some stations that carry it in the afternoon, like my hometown. It's on in the afternoon. Uh, but then in addition to that, we have another show, uh, a young lady by the name of Cindy Scott. So it's the Cindy Scott radio show. And uh, then we also have Chris Russell and Chris and Cindy work together at a radio station in New York. And they uh, both produce a show for us in addition to the show that they do for their own station where they work. So Chris Russell uh, radio program. And then uh, Terry Dean is another gentleman who does a radio show for us. And then a gentleman who and, and Terry's actually based in Chicago or right outside of Chicago. And he's been doing a show with us now for like three years, I think. Two, two years, maybe. I think Cindy and Chris and Terry all have been with us like two and a half to three years. And then Jay Williams does a show with us. And Jay was originally from Sioux Falls. He used to live here, but he moved to the Black Hills of South Dakota. And he's done this radio show with us now, I think, six years, maybe seven years. And uh, just really enjoyed working with Jay. And he took an, a full-time position with another company out in, in Rapid City, South Dakota, and we know that his show is not going to be on with us a whole lot longer, but, you know, it, we're, we're going to continue to uh, have him on as long as we possibly can. But but I also understand that, you know, he's got he's got a lot of things going on right now. So eventually that program will go away and will be replaced with something else. But those are the five programs that we currently syndicate. Uh, and this this would maybe tie in really good when you were asking about what's on the John and Heidi show. Um Quite often I'll have people ask what our show is about, and sometimes it's easier to talk about what our show is not about than what it's about. But, you know, over the course of the last, um, my wife and I have been doing this radio show together now for 10 years. And over the course of the last 10 years, we've had a whole lot of fun doing a, a, a bunch of different, uh, different things. But a portion of my program is doing interviews with people. And I was just sharing a story uh, with a gentleman that we work with about some of the interviews that did not go so well. We'll put it that way. So um, and I guess I'll start with this. When we very first started doing our show 10 years ago, we were on one radio station in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. That was it. Just the one station. And all of the guests that I would have would be local guests talking about local things because, well, that's where we were. When we added the station in Iowa, I said, how in the world can I be local here and local there? So that's when I said, well, I need to come up with a way to talk to people who are interesting in both places. So how am I going to do that? And I started talking to authors and I talked to, you know, any, anybody that I thought might be interesting in both places. And I remember one interview because for a while there, I was really struggling to find people to talk to. And I sent out a message looking for guests. And I remember getting this response back from uh, a person. And, and I hate to pick on this guy because it really was a fascinating interview. But the premise does not sound like an interesting interview. Uh, it was a man who has the largest collection of air sickness bags in North America. And the second largest collection in the world at the time. Who knows? He may have more. And I was to do a five-minute interview talking about that, which sounds impossible. But it was absolutely fascinating because I started asking him things like, you know, what is the Mickey Mantle or Babe Ruth, you know, for you? Because, you know, in sports, there are there are players that are maybe hard to get. And those are the valuable ones. What's the valuable air sickness bag? And, you know, he was telling me about getting them from the space shuttle 
and I didn't know they had them, but they do. They have like uh, air sickness bags on all the space shuttles. And, you know, to get an, one off of Air Force One, you know, so we talked about this for five minutes. And I just remember laughing after the fact, thinking, I just talked about barf bags for five minutes, <laughs> which sounds pretty darn crazy. And then I, uh, I, over the course of doing this program and adding affiliates and getting more stations, the thing that was really neat to me is how that changed. I went from, oh man, I really need an interview. Who can I talk to? And where am I going to find somebody? To now, I, I honestly, uh, I can schedule interviews a month in advance. And there are some times that I still, you know, even, even, uh, a month in advance, I struggle to get something on because I, the, the interview, I've gotten so many more opportunities and, and so many interviews that are just a whole lot of fun. And I used to watch the television program Shark Tank, and I just loved that program. And I remember getting a message from Barbara from the Shark Tank. I got a message from, from her people that they reached out to see if Barbara could be on our show. And I was like, are you kidding me? It's like somebody joking with me here. Is this for real? And, and I had an opportunity to do an interview with her because they reached out to me, which was just so cool. I thought that was the neatest thing ever. And some of the interviews that I was kind of telling you that did not go so well, um, we had moved to a new office and we moved to that new office. I had two interviews scheduled that day and I thought I have two things lined up. So let's get everything moved really quick and then we'll have plenty of time to do these interviews, you know, that I don't have any interviews till 10 a.m. So we started moving stuff early and I get there and I'm hooking everything up and all of a sudden it's 10 a.m. and it's time for the interviews. And I luckily I had things connected, but what I didn't have was time to prepare anything. And in one of the boxes somewhere were the two books for these two interviews. Now I remembered when I scheduled them, skimming through these books and kind of understood who they were and of the thousands of interviews that I've done over the years, most of them, I couldn't tell you the name. You know, if somebody told me, I would say, oh yeah, I probably would remember, oh, yeah, I did an interview with them. But but there's one name that I'll never, ever, ever forget. And this lady was such a wonderful, kind woman, but I felt like such a heel the day this happened. Aspen Mattis. And Aspen, if you're listening, I apologize again. So here's what happened. She's got a book called Girl in the Woods, or Girl, I think it's called A Girl in the Woods, maybe. And I get this interview request the same time I had another one. And the other interview request was a novel. And I remember kind of skimming through this and it looked really fun. So I think I'm talking to the person with the novel. And I, you know, again, I, my stuff is in a box somewhere. So I, I hit record and I, you know, I don't want them to have to wait for me. So I start the interview with, hey, we've got Aspen Mattis joining us. She's got a book called A Girl in the Woods. A really fun idea. What a great concept for a book. Uh, Aspen, tell me, how in the world did you come up with this idea? And there's kind of an awkward pause. And she says, on my second day in college, I was raped in my dorm room. And I'm like, oh, whoa, what? So it was a completely different interview than what I thought it was. So I, I stopped the interview and said, I am so sorry. I thought this was a different interview. And I had to kind of turn that bus around. And I still, th that interview never made it on the radio. And if I would quit telling the story, nobody would know what an idiot I was. But it's one of those things where I look back and go, you know what, it happened. And she was awesome. She's like, you know, I appreciate you starting over. And no, she said, I get it. I, I understand how it would be easy to get that confused with something else. And then I, I already admitted at least once during this program that I am not a sports guy. And uh, I want to preface this interview that didn't go well with uh, I am still not a sports guy. 
and I had a gentleman who was putting out a book. He was a dentist, and it said in the information that he was a dentist for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He was like their official dentist. And I have no idea why, but in my mind, that was a hockey team. And I know it's not now. <laughs> I know that now. So when I was talking to this guy, he's the official dentist for the Pittsburgh Steelers. For other folks that are not sports people, I'll give you a clue. That's a football team. <laughs> so I'm talking to this guy about you know him being a dentist in his new book. And I said something about, well, I think it's really cool. You're a the official dentist for the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's really cool. I said, I suppose in a sport like that, you probably see, you know, pucks to the face and maybe sticks. And the guy, there's kind of this awkward pause. And he's like, uh, not a lot of that, but you know, we, and then he's kind of throwing hints at me. And I'm kind of hoping they'll make it to the Super Bowl one day. And I go, oh, wait a minute. They're a football team. I felt like such a weirdo. I was like, I had, I don't know why I thought they were, uh, uh, ice hockey. I have no clue why I was thinking of Steelers and uh, maybe the Steel Blades. I have no idea. But those are a couple of my interviews that didn't go so well. And and those are also some things when when people ask me, why don't you do more uh, things that have to do with sports? I could just play that interview for them and they would understand why I stay far, far, far away from sports. That's funny. I, I, I'm the same way. I have, you know, sports are foreign to me. And um, it's, it's interesting hearing you talk about uh, interviews gone wrong. I mean, that's something I uh, am terrified of, uh, talking, like talking to somebody thinking they were another person. It's interesting oh, that you actually experience that. Oh, and I, I've had that happen. Um, there have been a couple of times. One, one in particular, there was a, a gentleman who his name was exactly the same name as another author, there were two authors with the same name and it was something, I don't remember the name, but it was something along the lines of like Mike McDonald, you know, a very common, I know it wasn't probably that, but but I get the phone call. Hey, uh, we've got Mike, you, are you ready to, to visit with him? Oh yeah, yeah, I am. And I just, I use Gmail. So I go into my Gmail and I type in Mike McDonald and I pull up the information so I can, you know, visit with him. And I'm talking to this guy about whatever the other dude's book was about climate change or whatever it was. And I, I asked him about it and he said, you know, I don't really, I don't really know much about that. Uh, I actually wrote a book about this and I was like, Oh, wait a minute. I think I've got the wrong information in front of me. So <laughs> it was a completely different dude, but coincidentally enough, the same exact name, same spelling, same everything. And I had two, two interviews with, you know, the same person's name, but you know, one was on one book and one was a completely different book.